You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legends of Runeterra. My name is Mark or the Lift, and with me tonight is my eternally optimistic and catastrophically creative co-host, Gibbles and Bits. Gibbles and Bits, how you doing tonight, man? I am good, man. I am good. I've uh it seems like my my series of trips and travels are slowly but surely um, winding down from the the wedding season. I've got one wedding left on the, on the calendar, but man, uh, between graduations and weddings and bachelor parties, I am all tired of going up and down on planes with layovers. So I am happy to be home. I'm happy to be sitting down, uh, playing some games, doing some recording. Uh, so it is. it feels good to be uh, to be on the mic tonight. How have you been, my man? Man, I've been good. Last week was absolutely insane. The week before that, pretty insane. This week, pretty crazy. But you know what? It's all good crazy, man. Life is full, and that's not a bad thing. My oldest daughter just turned five this past weekend, and uh, we bought her, and she got from family a bunch of Legos, which as dad, mm-hmm. it's like leveling up, right? Like I keep talking about level ups as a parent. And one of the level ups is definitely Legos being part of the equation now because I just get to hang out with my daughter. And even though they're girl Legos, some of them are pretty freaking sick, dude. Like, I'm not going to lie. There's this giant treehouse that we just got at her birthday that she and I built together. And it's it's legit. Like, it's a really legit Lego set. Like, it was super complex to build. There's like eight bags of Legos in it. Uh, we got Rapunzel's Castle uh, yesterday, so she and I are going to be building that coming up, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, you know, man, I it's been good. I've been streaming a lot of Elder Scrolls online. I got to stream a little bit of LOR last week. Um, I've been playing, I've been playing LOR hit and miss, but honestly, a lot of what I've been doing is waiting for this new set of cards to come out because I hit diamond like early in the season and just haven't been super inspired to play since then because I, I don't really need anything in the game. And so I haven't been right. playing a ton. But I'll tell you this, before we dump it, jump into Rintera, the one thing I'm most excited about is the fact that you and DBN are coming to Pittsburgh. No spoiler alert in case you haven't seen it already. Yes, DBN will be traveling from his uh, home, from where he hails in Charlotte, and I'll be traveling from my humble abode in small, quiet, boring Delaware. And I will be making my way over to Pittsburgh. We both will. Uh, the to... mighty city of Pittsburgh. The mighty steel city. <laughs> where there's a recording studio waiting for us to do some fun things. And we'll also yep. be playing some board games and, and be hopefully meeting all of you. So yes, uh, if you haven't seen it already, Mark posted a, uh, a little tidbit in uh, the, the camp legends discord, any and all are welcome. We are looking for, we're going to be doing a, a camp legends meetup. So uh, the weekend is the last weekend in June, I believe. Yeah, it's Saturday, June 25th. We're going to be meeting at 7 o'clock p.m. at Southern Tier Brewery on the north side of Pittsburgh. So Southern Tier has a couple of spots, but find the one that's on the North Shore in Pittsburgh. And uh, if you want to drive in, come hang out with us. There's some pretty inexpensive places to stay in Pittsburgh. Uh, If you need help finding a place, you can always reach out to me over Discord, and I can hopefully help you find a place. Uh, But Gibby and DBN are going to be spending the weekend here. 
We're going to do a live stream uh, on my channel, so twitch.tv slash the lift. If you haven't followed that, go follow it. We're probably going to be doing a Pokemon Unite live stream. And uh, you know what? I might even set up the mics and we can do like a, a live all three in the studio recording of something. We can do some recording for one of the feeds of some type. You know, something nerd, something nerdy. We'll all be, we'll all have a mic and we'll all do something nerdy. That's that's at a, yeah. that's at a, at a minimum. I was like, maybe we can wrap up almost legends together, like because we have one episode left of season one. Oh, that'd be. But I also want the audio quality to be really good, and I'm not sure how good I can get the audio quality with like um, a, a mic that's going to pick up a ton of ambient noise in the room to catch all three of us at a table. I just don't know that we'll, I think you'll hear a lot of shuffling and movement and uh, I don't want to do that. Uh, shameless plug for one of our other shows, by the way, Almost Legends is a uh, a tabletop RPG play podcast that me and Gibby and TBN do. So if you like TTRPGs, you'll like this one. And if you like uh, Arcane, the show, uh, or Runeterra, you'll like this one because we make a lot of references to cards that are actually in the game of Legends of Runeterra, and uh, it takes place in between episode three and four of the very well-acclaimed, like, great anime cartoon uh, Arcane uh, that's out by Riot over on, on Netflix. So, And if you like alligators and if you like rompers, check it out as well. And you're going yeah. to you're gonna have to listen to the episode to figure out what I mean. That's all I'm going to yep. say. Yeah, and it actually came out today. When this episode dropped, then the episode number five of season one of Almost Legends almost dropped at the same exact time. I literally got done editing it today and, and getting it up. We, you know, it's not our most popular show, but the three of us have just had a tremendous amount of fun recording it because we all love, we all love, right now we're playing D&D 5.0. We all love that system. And so it's been a lot of fun, you know, doing that together, which has been really cool. Yes, uh, it has been, been fantastic. Great. We've been loving it. Well, well, hey, why don't we why don't we go ahead and get into some LOR things? Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we, you know, I don't think we have many announcements, honestly, outside of the 25th. That's the, the meetup is the big thing coming out. But in LOR, the deck that I've been playing was actually recommended to me by the Shafe. Um, and so I've been playing his deck on and off. He had an Udir Swain list after the most recent rounds of nerfs and buffs that runs. It's kind of controlly, right? So it runs avalanches and it runs... Uh, uh, what's the other land? The landmark blighted ravine. Blighted ravine. Um, yeah, and so these things can vary very quickly. I don't know that blighted ravine actually works for Swain, but our, it does. Uh, Avalanche does. Oh, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, it's non-combat damage. Oh, like that, non-direct right. combat damage. Yeah. So it definitely works. It, it's not spells or skills. It's it's non-combat damage for Swain. Uh, and so it's very easy to get Swain leveled up. Sometimes, as if you're playing against an aggro deck, sometimes really you drop him on oh, yeah. five and he's leveled. Um. And you know what? I will say this. I did not expect the rework on Udyr, and I do now call it a rework, the rework on Udyr to be effective. I don't think I said in the show that I thought it was going to be that great. I wasn't all that impressed with it. I've always thought that Udyr was weak. Udyr is much, much, much better. I'm still not saying he's a strong champion, but he is substantially better mm -hmm. in his current form than what he was in his previous one. It actually was a rework, and it did make a big difference in the in the way and the style that you can play the champion. And what I like about it is it actually made it more flexible. Like That's exactly the word I was going to use. Yeah. It's flexible. Yeah, he's a lot more flexible. There's not nearly as much of the deck that needs to be built around him, so you kind of slot him in with a couple of other things. I, I still contend that I would rather run Udyr's support cards and Trundle instead of him 
Uh, mm-hmm. I still think most of the time Trundle is just a better five drop Freljord character. If Trundle was still nerfed and was coming down, you know, with less stats like he was before, then I think Udyr might be better. But you know, they 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 gave Trundle some of his stats back not all that long ago, uh, and I think he still remains sort of like the bruiser powerhouse mid range character of Freljord that Udyr would like to be. But I think Trundle arguably still does that a little bit better. Well, he creates um, his own level up condition, which is very unique in, in the fact that you can sure. do it like like the next turn or two for Trundle. Like he'll, he'll always have that going for him. And Udyr does too, technically. It's just significantly harder to do than it, it just is take, It Trundle just takes just longer. Play as Ice Pillar. Yeah, yeah. It, just, it just takes longer to do. However, I think there's more, maybe more upside with Udyr. Like, the temp, like, like Trundle is so much more straightforward, but Udyr's got a lot more kind of like tricky flexibility to be able to pull off things and maybe adapt to your opponent's deck. The other thing to think about that now that I'm thinking about it that I like one of my favorite decks to ever play um, that I've ever played is and I've gone through several iterations of it is uh, Swain and Sejuani which feels I would imagine probably very similar in tempo because it also runs Avalanche also runs Blighted Ravine is very similar in tempo to Udi or Swain. Yeah, one it's kind of controlly going for that mid to late range grab control went out with Leviathan basically. Right. Well, and the one thing I like about the Udir um kind of compliment to that is there is a stance swap that does want it that does one damage to everything to all your an- yeah. enemies right so that's another if you, you could have a stance swap in hand and you may anticipate because it'll that 80 percent of the time it's it's going to go on a unit for regen or overwhelm or whatever you're going to put it on I mean, it may be an attachment to a character but doing one to everything if they try to go wide to be able to slow the game down and and start leveling up really accelerating your Swain level up is just as flexible. Honestly, though, it, I found that I actually use that more than anything else, which I was surprised by. But as it turns out, there's the new six mana card that now makes one of your stance swaps every round. The first one you play costs nothing. So you get that down and you play that. And it it oftentimes, so the two cards it enables really well are uh, Ravenous Flock and, uh, and Scorched Earth. Uh, and sometimes that deck does not have a lot of pings in it. It kind of has, like, Avalanche and Blighted Ravine. There really isn't a lot of, like, uh, ping you, like you would see in a lot of Swain decks, right? It's not, it's not running Pokey Stick. It's not running a lot of the stuff that's going to enable you to use some of his other removal. What I found is that stance swap oftentimes does the trick for me, and you're not even that concerned about your own board because you're not, like, now, I will say this. I've not played it against the Overwhelm deck yet. I have played it against Pantheon, and Pantheon smacks this deck around like it just wrecks it because you simply do not have the type of removal and enough of it that you to to be able so so much of it's like point and click damage in this deck and you just don't have the right tools for the pantheon deck you need other things like recalls and silences and things of that nature to beat that deck but what you do have in this deck um is the ability to deal with wide boards and the ability to, uh, you know, deal with like an Ezreal or a lot of like small targets, um, and I've, I've, I like that about it. So I've won more than I've lost with it, but I haven't had a tremendous amount of time on it yet. Um, I think it would lose pretty hard against that the popular Overwhelm deck that runs the Manatar that makes you incapable of blocking and mm-hmm. um, smashes your face. But what have you been playing in Runeterra? Have you had, I mean, you've been traveling a lot. I don't know if that means that you've had more time to play or less time to play Runeterra. You know, I never know what type it, of travel it is, right? It's it's It comes in spurts, right? I mean, at sometimes <laughs> you get a 30-minute layover and you end up running to your gate. 
sure. uh, sprinting from plane to plane. But sometimes you end up sitting for two and a half, three hours. And I've, I've definitely spent some time playing LOR um, in the, over the past, I'll say, couple of weeks um, since we've last been recording. I think one of my favorite decks that I've that's kind of made its way into my uh, kind of rotation of just favorite decks and lineups to play is um, a, a variation, I would say, in that maybe half of the cards, if not more of them, are the same, but the spl- the the secondary region is different. Is I mean, everyone we've talked enough about our Rosebuds deck, which is a Siver LeBlanc deck, or Siver it was Siver Darius actually, I should say, where basically a, a reputation deck that wants you to play a bunch of five cost units and then be able to pull out an expensive or valuable unit with black rose spy and maybe do some rally shenanigans to finish the game off well i found an alternate deck uh to be able to play so instead of running noxus and sharima i've been running noxus and targon it is a rumble and leblanc deck that's interesting that you basically end up printing several copies of you can print several copies of rumble with um with black rose spy Okay, and doing okay. and that it, that it just absolutely makes there are there are very easy ways with that deck to one hit reputation draw a bunch of cards it also runs incisive tech in was it incisive tactician um uh yeah, yeah I incisive know. I, I know yeah. so little about those cards incisive <laughs> tactician be being the the eight the eight mana reputation I cost six and then when I'm summoned rally so you can rally with them get more attacks off. But um, being able to, to level Rumble in that deck is very easy. And every time he's attacking, especially if you have multiple of them, he's making he's he's either making Mecha Yordles or making them cost zero, and they're getting huge, and their stats are just growing out insane out of control. So that's a deck that just definitely knows how to finish a game off. It's got a lot of card draw. It's got some some challenger. It runs blind mis- blinded mystics, so being able to silence some things and give yourself plus one plus one on a unit yep. to help trigger more um trigger more reputation stuff, mountain goats for the gems. There's there's a lot to that deck. Um and I, I like it. I think it's I think it's mid rangey and it can definitely close out games. Games that you should never win. It's one of those decks where it's mm. like you 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 can may you may feel like you're in a really good spot against that deck being up by like 17 hit points to their three. And then they just wham, bam, like drop everything on board rally. And you, all of your health just disappears. It, it wins games. (laughs) It has no right to win. That that always feels good. If you can surprise your opponent, because it's, it, it kind of plays a little bit. It's more like a combo deck, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're kind of assembling the pieces and then trying to, Maybe you're picking away at their life ahead of time, but you're not a constant pressure, right? You're basically no. trying to say, I'm going to slam a bunch of stuff on one turn and virtually OTK you with it, right, in in, in one round. Yep. And then the, I think the other deck that I've been trying to play is I have my Pantheon Vladimir deck that runs all of mm. the um, the Crimson package. And okay. that, that deck's really, really fun. I mean, because every single time you ping one of your own units with your Crimson package and you make more Crimson units, you're sure. slowly but surely whittling their health down. While having like a and bunch of chump blockers, Pantheon. you're leveling up Pantheon, and then you've got Captain Farron to finish. Like it's it's a it's a pretty fun deck. Um, Vlad will help keep you alive by doing some uh, some life steal shenanigans. It's that's a fun deck. It's definitely less effective, but it is it is great to be able to pull off. And I I think the the change of was a blood to blood, 
Blood for Blood. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That moved it to burst speed yep. when moved it, it was before, speed. which is a which is a huge bump to that card. And I've not seen many people sort of experimenting with it or even trying it out. Well, there's there's your spot. Is if you play there that deck, three, I went from one copy to three copies of Blood for Blood in that deck just because it's a really good trigger. I can do it on an open. I can I can trigger basically basically trigger flat on an open an open swing. Yep. So like yeah. I can level him. He doesn't have to. Because he doesn't necessarily get all of the benefits of leveled up Vlad if you attack and he levels off of the attack. It doesn't, you don't get all of that. So um, sure. so I like to be able to burst speed, trigger his stuff, attack with a bunch Go of in. units, and it's it's usually enough to be able to put them in, your opponent in a bad spot. And they'll never expect it because Vlad's in your deck, so they'll just be assuming easy win as soon as they see it. So that's mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah. Uh, I real quickly before we jump into our first subject officially for the evening, um, I want to remind you guys that as this episode is coming out today is the day that the patch comes out, which means arena goes away or expedition goes away. So if you have not used all of your expedition tokens, you need to use them before the new patch comes out later today, the same day this episode is coming out. Um, because it's going away and you are going to lose them. So you want to be able to use them and grab all of those free epic capsules. You can jump in, just you know. Don't even create your deck. Just lose everything and, and drop out, surrender, done, done. And uh, and you can grab those Epic Capsules for free with any Arena tokens that you've accumulated. I haven't done it yet. I'm going to be doing it probably tonight or tomorrow and just surrendering a whole bunch and mm -hmm. grabbing all of my they Epic Capsules. And, yeah, loading up on those shards. So <laughs> don't forget to do that. Let's talk about our first main point of topic and subject. I think there's going to be some new players coming in. There's lots of Alawi, Jin, Bard, and Annie lovers uh, in the LOL universe. So I'm sure with them coming into this game, they, you know, when they're seeing those champions coming into this game, there's going to be players who play LOL, like, okay, I'll go check out, you know, Riot's card game now that my favorite champ is in there. So whenever we do get new champs, we are going to try to do a new player section. So let's go ahead and dive into our, our segment for new players. Showtime! Okay, in our segments for new players, we try to discuss terminology or some of the basics in the game um, for Runeterra itself. Because Runeterra itself is a card game, plays a little different than other digital card games. So if you're coming from a digital card game background, we're helping you kind of, you know, get into it. If you're coming from Hearthstone, helps you understand a little bit of the mechanics of how the game actually plays. What we're going to do for this one is we're going to assume there are people who are coming in who have no card game experience really at all. Maybe you've listened to a couple of episodes in preparation for your favorite champ becoming a card. And what we want to do is kind of give you a little bit of definitions that are key to the card game world itself. But maybe you haven't had a, a good chance to understand them. Uh, because, and you're going to hear terminology that's thrown around. When I first started listening to podcasts about card games, I, I, like, I just had no idea what the freaking crap they were talking about. Mm -hmm. I just wish someone would pause and define something for me. So what we're going to do is we're going to define the various types of decks that are in digital card games. Those are being aggro, mid-range, control, and combo decks. Uh, right. Gibby, you want to talk? I mean, you don't have to talk about any one of them specifically right off the bat. We, we can talk about each one. But, you know, I don't know what your experience was like trying to learn what these are and figure out, identify them. But I, I know for me, it was hard to pick it up at first. Well, and I think part of navigating those four words that you just mentioned in deck types and all of that is some of them are going to feel more natural than others out the gate and you may grow to love 
more deck types that maybe you didn't exactly kind of come naturally um, from a play style. Like everyone's got their preferred play style, right? And when you join a game like Legends of Runeterra or Hearthstone or one of the first major ones that I got into was Legends of the Five Rings along with Hearthstone, um, and you start deck building, you start defining, like what's the first thing you're going to do in the game outside of learning some of the basic mechanics of like actually how to complete a game is you're going to say, okay, well, what decks can I play? Like I have to queue a deck in order to actually play the game. And well, what deck is what type? When you start deck building, you need to be able to know what the identity of your deck is. And that's hopefully what will help you define and be able to keep in mind as you go to start looking at decks or, um, or, at, or building around them. And as you play, there are definitely um, things to keep in mind that we'll try to go over that are maybe crucial or even, or maybe more important than others to, to, to certain deck types. But um, well, why don't you take us through aggro? Take us through the first sure. one. What is an aggro deck? What's the goal of an aggro deck? What sort of marks or shows that a deck is an aggro deck and, and not another type of deck? So aggro decks kind of by definition, aggro being the short, hand for aggressive decks aggro decks want to kill you quickly or if you're running the aggro deck you want to kill your opponent quickly you want to take their health points to to zero before their non-aggressive deck comes online and they start outvaluing you the point of an aggressive deck is it's 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 the it's the old mantra of we're here for a good time not a long time we're we're <laughs> sure we're not we're not trying to to stick around and and beat you down with because our deck is necessarily better than yours or more powerful than yours in a in a long term sense. It says I'm going to play most likely a bunch of things early and go wide. And, and Legends of Runeterra, the most common aggressive decks, play a lot of low costed units and go wide. Mm-hmm. And are hoping that your deck is slow enough. Either you didn't draw into your low cost of units, and you probably have a lot less than they do, or that you're just wide enough that they don't have enough blockers on board to be able to deal with the onslaught that you're putting in front of them. And by the time they know what hit them, and they've got some spell mana, and it's turn four, their health is already at six, and then you've you've got some complementary cards that they just they just can't do anything about to be able to take them to zero. So aggressive decks, kind of the identity of it is there are going to be regions that are better than others in aggressive decks. For example, one of the more common regions um, in aggressive decks are Noxus because Noxus yeah. is very centered around damage, being able to to ping a lot of their skills, ping your health, ping your opponent's health away. Where they've got a lot of units with overwhelm, so even if they are going, their unit is going to die, and they're or it's going to get blocked there's going to be points of damage that go over the top of that that'll still chip away at their life. They've also got a very popular card called Decimate that just says for five mana as a spell, do four to your enemy's nexus. That's 20% of their health. And that a lot of times is going to close out a game for an aggressive deck. So there are there are kind of key cards. Um, Bilgewater is another very common faction for for aggressive decks pirate aggro those two together noxus and bilgewater one of the most common combinations in the game and has been for a long time for an aggressive deck but if you're going to look out for what an aggressive deck looks like there are going to be several um there gonna be several ways to notice it you'll see that either going to have one of the two combinations of the um regions i just mentioned 
you might see Noxus, you might see might see Bilgewater. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna want to look out for what champions are they playing. That's gonna be that's gonna be true for any of the decks that we're talking about. Is what champions are they playing? If you know that you if you see it really in Soul across from you in the little preview before the game starts about what champions and regions they're running, it's probably not an aggressive deck. No, but if really but if you cost ten mana, <laughs> right? Cost ten mana. But if you see Misfortune, who was a very damage based character, and you see uh, Zoe. Or maybe even Zoe is not necessarily an aggressive champion, but can be. Um, but if you see lower costed champions that are you know are are mm-hmm. centered around damage, then maybe you're dealing with an aggressive deck. When you see by turn two, then play several units out that yeah. have weak defensive stats and high attack stats. You might be dealing with an aggressive deck. So um, yeah. So I'll add, I'll add this about aggro deck. So the aggro deck's goal, right? You start. Your goal is simple. Everybody wins this game by getting their opponent's health to zero. So that's what you're going to do. And you're going to do it the fastest way you possibly can do it. There's something unique about aggressive decks in LOR, though, is they are a combination of cheap, efficient, high damage creatures and reach cards. And reach cards are cards that damage that go to your opponent's health without them being capable of really doing much about it. Because what you'll find in LOR is because blockers have priority in this game, unlike games like Hearthstone, where blockers, attackers have priority, you cannot just overwhelm your opponent with creatures. Eventually, your opponent gets some stuff online. They can choose value trades. They can come back on board. Oftentimes, those decks need a reach, which is why we see lots of cards like Noxian cards that have both aggressive statted minions and they have access to reach. Where every region has aggressive statted minions, not every region has access to reach, but Piltover does, Noxus does, uh, even to a certain extent, Ionia has a little bit of access to reach. So that's what you're going to be seeing with aggro decks. The next one is mid-range. And the question for a mid-range deck is not how quickly can I lower my opponent's health, but it is how quickly can I get my ga- my my deck online to overwhelm my opponent to the point where they cannot stop me. So a mid-range deck, the big question for mid-range deck is, it, does this deck come online in turns 3, 4, 5, 6, maybe even up until up to about round seven. These decks typically, historically, are going, not always, there are mid-range decks that sort of aren't overly aggressive, that play a little bit more, uh, you know, controlly. The thing about mid-range is it, it can lean either way. So the deck that I was talking about at the beginning of the show with Swain and with Udyr is a mid-range deck. It does not have a lot of late game capability, um, but it's a control sort of version it's sort of like it leans heavier on that side there are mid-range decks i would imagine swain and sejuani is a mid-range deck that almost leads a little bit more aggressive because sejuani is a slightly more aggressive champion maybe not you were playing you were playing Adelaide it can stuff, so it, it, yeah yeah it, it can run either way and that's kind of the point of mid-range decks right um they're a little bit more flexible flexible yeah they're a little bit more flexible what mid-range decks oftentimes lack is a tremendous amount of versatility, right? They're going to kind of play their game plan. Um, Oftentimes, their decks don't have a lot of healing in them, so they can't deal with aggro. And if their board gets dealt with in some capacity in the middle of the game, sometimes they cannot get back on top because they don't oftentimes run a tremendous number of tricks and things that will allow them to regain board presence after they have lost it. Mid-range decks have historically not been super great in Legends of Runeterra. It is one of my favorite 
styles of play. There's been seasons when they've been good. I would argue that right now mid-range decks aren't awful because of NAR. Like, NAR sort of resurrected mid-range decks for the yeah, entire for sure. the entire game. Because NAR was just such any... Like, at four mana, he was such an aggressive and incredible mid-range tool. Um, there was a time when Vi was, like, the best mid-range champion in the game before they lowered one of her health. But the mid-range decks are really looking for value. What's the most bang I can get for my buck? So they're looking to drop creatures on the board that are five mana for a 6-6 six, six instead of a 5-5. Five, five. They're not looking to drop low things that are just going to help them draw. They want to take the board. They want to keep and maintain mm. the board. Um, and they're usually playing largely things on curve. A one drop on one, a two drop on two, a three exactly. drop on three, a four drop on four. Um, and they're just going to play with the curve of their mana, giving them not a lot of spell mana to do tricky things with, like some of the other types of decks that we'll talk about are capable of doing. And so, yeah, that's kind of the the point of the mid-range list. Anything else to add to that, Gibby, before you move us on to control? Yeah, I would say with mid-range decks, I mean, when you're, when you're building a mid-range deck, you're probably going to have a pretty even curve in uh the the mana efficient the mana cost of the cards that you're playing you're going to want to have some one drops you're going to want to have some two drops you're going to want to have some three drops some four um and probably one through five you're going to want to have options at all of them uh you're probably going to avoid having champions that are on the same cost because you're going to want to get as mark mentioned the your biggest bang for your buck typically your champions being some of your strongest units you're going to want to have like it's ideal to be able to play a champion on turn three to champion on turn on turn four you don't want to have to make the decision about which one am I going to play. I think mid-range decks most often um, will run the most powerful, not necessarily efficient per se, like an aggressive deck would be, but they're um, maybe the most powerful early game cards because they want to take the board, establish the, the, the board, and be better than you by turn one, turn two, after those are yeah. over, so that way turn three and turn four are more impactful. Uh, some of the more yeah, they'll compete early on, and then there's this point in which they outvalue you and just want to swing the board back in their favor to the point where you can't yeah. come back from it later on. I think turn three is crucial for mid range decks, personally. Um, yep. Demacia does a really good job. I mean, Poppy is another good example of in her prime. Poppy was a great example <laughs> of a mid before she got nerfed, before yeah, she got oblivion, nerfed into yeah. oblivion. Like, yeah. Poppy was a fantastic idea or, uh, or example, I should say, of, of a mid range champion because mm -hmm. she came down, she wasn't the most. Uh, wasn't the best statted minion, but she was average. And what did she do? She made everything else around her. It's that biggest bang for your buck you were talking about. She made everything else around her by giving everything else plus one, plus one that was the same stats or weaker than her uh, a big boost. And it helped keep yeah. everything alive, helped make, get them to turn five and turn six, where then hopefully they were just too much to handle. It was... It wasn't so controlly that you you already had a presence on board, but it wasn't so aggressive that half of your hand was gone by turn three. So yeah. mid range. Decks, well, why don't you run us through and, and tell us uh, uh, just uh, some points and some thoughts about control decks as well? Sure, control decks are the inverse of aggressive decks. Control decks being their major win con. I think I think control decks, if anything, probably center around a few cards a few big cards that are your major win condition um when you start looking at what makes a card cost a lot of mana in legends of runeterra it's usually their power level to some degree right now we know that there's a lot of really not played seven drops eight drops that are around just because yep. they just they just don't do enough 
compared one of the to reasons that mid range is weak right now because it just doesn't have access to those seven and eights. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have chimed in. Go ahead. No, you're good. Yeah, the <laughs> uh, but control decks will take advantage of those late game cards that cost a lot that are really good. Uh, I mentioned Aurelian Soul earlier. That's a ten drop. There are there's a Dragons deck with with Shivana and Ace and Aurelian Soul, for example. That deck is trying to just survive. The goal of, of a control deck is can I survive having a weaker late, a weaker early game, maybe not playing a whole lot of units, maybe banking some spell mana, um, and having a weaker or smaller presence on board to get to my mid-range turns, which is where that's where my deck starts coming online. And then I'm just gonna be better than you late game. My decks, my, my cards are gonna be too powerful. I'm gonna have too many stats. And you, I'm going to be able to kind of wait you out and run you out of cards or run you out of mana or, or heal myself to where your aggressive cards can't kill me. Control decks almost entirely will run healing to deal with aggressive decks that try to burn them down to zero. Um, or they'll run a lot of board wipes where they'll have AoE spells or AoE uh, units that try to clear the board to help kind of make the game last longer. Um, or and and mm -hmm. usually have card generation so that way they can kind of can keep their hand going and they always have options of things to play by the late game. So kind of the identity of control decks is just that it's got resource generation. They want to keep the game going until their bigger units are going to be better than your bigger units, and they've usually got um, some sort of healing to them, where absolutely their cards are just going to be better than yours by the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, Control's name of the game is value, right? How can I get the most value that I can um, and then and survive to it? And then really, you know, as Aggro is asking, how can I lower my opponent's health to zero as fast as possible? Control really is never asking much about how it's going to win the game. It's saying, how am I going to stop you from winning the game? That's is really point. what Control's saying. What tools do I have that prevent you from, from getting to your win and then I will find a way to win, right? I'll, I'll, there'll be something in my deck that has a way to win. You usually have some sort of a win condition. But the, the main bulk of your deck is just preventing your opponents from winning. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so the last one is combo. And I think this is one of the hardest ones to identify. And even maybe some card games don't identify it as its own category. They my favorite. it in with control. Yeah, my favorite as well. These are my favorite decks to play. So what combo is basically saying is it plays very similar control in the survivability aspect of the deck. So it's going to run a lot of cards that are going to help it to survive, not necessarily as many cards that are just attempting to prevent your opponent from winning. However, the thing that it's doing in addition to that is it is assembling a grouping of cards and usually a condition on the board that it is able to use to win the game in one turn or one to two turns. And so uh, these decks you're going to see, like Lee Sin decks, are typically combo-oriented decks. Um, you know, even Fizz decks, oftentimes kind of a combo deck. Um, Nami decks, kind of a combo champion. There's a lot of various combo champions that are out there um, that, you know, you'll kind of see throughout. We even talked earlier how you kind of had uh, a bit of a combo deck that you had made there um, earlier with, uh, the you know, the the LeBlanc and uh, Siver, right? Um, although, were right. you using something different with it? Yeah. It, it was LeBlanc, LeBlanc and Rumble. LeBlanc and Rumble, that's right, which plays a lot like, uh, you know, I'm trying to survive, I'm trying to survive, I'm assembling the cards that I need, the board state that I need to win, 
and then I just yank it all out and and play all my stuff, and I get the board state to win, and I win. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, and you'll see different decks are going to play that way. Uh, you see that in sort of like Anivia decks. Anivia is going to play really control, but really what it's trying to do is get the proper amount of Anivia's dead so that it can harrowing and kill you in one turn. Um, and that one's a little bit different of a combo deck because it's it's building towards a one-card thing at the end of the game. Lee Sin's going to be playing a bunch of spells and trying to survive. The other thing that's indicative of most combo decks is draw because it has to find its tools. Because if it doesn't find, find its, its tools... Answer. Yeah, it does not have a way to win the game. The deck runs no way. It's not trying to outvalue you. If it does not find its tools, it will eventually run out of value and lose. So you're always playing against the clock with a control deck. There's a certain amount of time that you have to assemble what you need before your deck gets outvalued and you get beat down. And you don't really care about your life total as much as long as it's not zero. As long as it's not zero, you can still win the game. Uh, and that's kind of what control is is saying, you know, uh, and... and that's sort of like the, the bulk. And of course, that's true of any deck, but it's more control with more true of control decks. Uh, you know, I've had Lee Sin you mean games combo where decks? I was at three combo decks. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I've had more games like Lee Sin where I'm at like three health and I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I have all my pieces. Look, I'm good. My health total literally doesn't matter. Right. Um, like you yeah. you do math a lot more in, con in, in combo decks than probably any yeah. other deck. And one of the major things that you want to do. And I, maybe one of the reasons I like it is, I mean, I was a big Scorpion player in Legends of the Five Rings, which is all about like tricks and um, kind of doing shady things. And you don't know what I've got. The biggest question yep. that you want to make your opponent say is, does he have what he needs? Does he have the answer that makes his deck work in his hand? And it's a you play a little bit of mind games when you when you playing a combo deck because. If you can make your opponent think that you have, even if you don't have what you need, if you can make your opponent think you, that you have what you need, then they will start It'll playing play playing different. differently. And they'll be playing a lot less efficient. So combo decks also um, are a bit trickier, as you mentioned, to play, but they're also, I don't know, they they can they can play wins, and maybe they maybe that's it's a it's a type that if you're a good player, combo decks can really be be advantageous just because you can you can you can play to your strengths at that point um mm -hmm. yeah They're i like a lot what of you, fun too yeah i liked what you said about combo decks is that um they do they do I mean they do have card draw and it doesn't matter what your health total is it's, it's can i find my combo and there are very aggressive combos like i used to run a, a zed deck um that played the uh the flurry of fists where it gives everything double attack mm -hmm. if it already has quick attack there would be a time where on turn four or turn five, I'm playing a Zed that didn't get blocked or it got blocked one time. I played Flurry of Fists on it and they couldn't deal with it. They didn't want to block because you had a quick attack and they didn't want their unit to die. And I'm like, okay, Flurry of Fists plus one attack. And he just did half of your life total in one turn. Or maybe I stacked something else onto another attack card onto it. And now he just killed you in one turn by, by turn yeah. five. I think I think combo I, decks can can be aggressive. They can be controlly. There's there's a lot of ways to play with it. That's a good point. Most decks that are 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 combo decks lend themselves towards control because you're trying to assemble the pieces. But there are aggressive <laughs> decks, and the flaw of an aggressive combo deck is it's infinitely more interruptible than a a, a, a like a, a deck that's leaning more towards you know like oh yeah you could get zed off as long as your opponent doesn't have mystic shot right mm -hmm. whereas uh you know another deck might keep the tools it needs to protect its combo um uh, an aggressive combo deck typically doesn't it's just trying to trick a win 
Um, not always, but a lot of times it is. And But I think that's a really important distinction that not all decks that are combo decks are also, you know, lend lend themselves more towards a control style. Yeah. Um, some of them lend themselves towards aggressive. Even, you know what, to be honest with you, there's even some decks that run, run themselves towards mid-range. I played Lee Sin Riven, and Lee Sin Riven is a mid-range combo deck. Yep, um, it could be, be multiple. You know, yeah, Lee Sin Zoe is, is a combo deck that's a control deck. But Lee Sin Riven is, I just know this because I've played a lot of Lee Sin throughout my Runeterra career, which makes me a bad person, by the way. But No, uh, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, it kind of does. That's what the, what the group will think. Depends when you but, did. Uh, we, have a, we have a little bit of time left, and we have a lot of things to talk about, don't we? So We do. We should Some probably, important stuff. Yeah, we should probably move on, right? Let's go. Let's talk about it. Yeah, New okay. stuff. Yeah, main segment for tonight. What the b- is that okay guys in our main segment for tonight we're going to be talking about the new champions that are coming to the legends of runeterra literally the day that this episode drops somewhere around like 1 or 2 p.m est we're going to be getting four new champions Jin, alawi bard and annie and uh, we certainly don't have time to talk about every card that's going to be coming out but we do have time to talk about them in that order. So we're going to be talking about each of the four champions tonight and give us some initial thoughts on them and the package that's coming along with them. And uh, these are going to be the first Runeterra champions. Let me touch on that, Gibby, and then you'll take us through Jin. Go for talk it. about Jin. Runeterra champions can go in any deck, and I believe they can combine with two regions. Am I right? Like uh, a Runeterra champion can go in with two other regions. Um, and what they do is each one sort of has an origin ability. So these champions do not have a champion region, a region associated with them. They can be put in any deck. They have an origin ability, and this is going to be something that's going to enable you to build your deck in a unique way or enable something that happens in a unique way. We have Jin and Bard, our first two of the Runeterra champions that we're going to get, which is very confusing because the game is Legends of Runeterra, and then we have Runeterra champions, Mm -hmm. which is very confusing. But either way. Gibby, tell us about the first Runeterra champion that we have, Jin, and uh, how he plays. Jin might have had the coolest intro, I think, of any of any champion I've ever seen of the one that they did. He's a really I, cool champion. I love the style of Jin, and I think Jin is really cool because I isn't Jin? <clears throat> this is his introduction into the Runeterra universe, right? He he does not exist in Legends of uh, League of Legends, or they're putting him oh, in no, at the same no. time. No, he's he's exi- this guy's actually all of so Annie is an original character. Bard and Alawi have been in for a while. Jin has been in for years. Okay, so I guess I was wrong on that. Anyway, yeah, they're so all Jin, around. So all of the Runeterra champions have what's called an origin. So they've got some sort of deck building restriction that, um, or I guess freedom at that point that it allows you to do by putting them in your deck. They don't, and they have this unique little logo that doesn't have a region in it, which is why, as Mark mentioned, I think believe you can use more than you can use two regions on top of these Runeterra champions as long as they still fit. Um, whatever the deck building restriction is that, that they're centered around. So Jin is a four cost four, four that reads origin, the virtuoso origin being the virtuoso being his deck building kind of restriction. And it says if a Jin started in your deck, which means you had to have slotted him at least one slot of him as a part of your, uh, your deck building. If a Jin started in your deck for every three fast spells, slow spells or skills you play when you, uh, you play, while you behold Jins, which meaning which means he either has to be on the board or in your hand, uh, play Lotus Trap. You may put any followers, 
any follower that has a skill, uh, the little skill marking, a little circle with the little lines around it, um, you may put any follower that has a skill into your deck during deck building. So he allows, he kind of opens you up to being able to use a lot of different uh, units, regardless of their region, regardless of their cost, that have the skill in their text. Yep. And he himself has that. So Jin is Origin the Virtuoso, which I just read. And it says attack. Deal two, to, deal two to all stunned enemies when he attacks. So you're going to want to play a lot of stuns with him. His level up says you've played 12 plus fast spells, slow spells, or skills. You'll see a theme here. That's something that you'll see across the different champions is this fast spell, slow spell, or skills. Um, because they take time in order to be able to do. Um, his skill is called... 12 is a lot. And 12 is a, a lot, lot, which makes yes. me, but, and I think skills are going to be the way that, that propel this a lot, truthfully, because you can sure. get, you can get multiple pings off of one unit with skills, as long as they have some survivability, his level up, once you've played 12 fast, slower skills, um, he gets quick attack and he says attack deal four to all stunned enemies and the enemy nexus. So he becomes a little bit more of a win condition by doing damage to the enemy nexus. And if you can manage to stun things, he's going to start dealing more to them and start clearing out the board. And which, It's which notable cool. that he is, to my knowledge, the only champion that does not increase his stats when he levels up. He is a 4-4 and a 4-4. That's a good point. I didn't think At about that. At least in the artwork, that I, the artwork that I see here. He gets quick attack, but he is he stays a 4-4, which even our other Runeterra champions will talk about later, stats go up. Yeah, I think so, every other champion at least goes up at least goes up by uh plus one plus one. Uh yeah, and some either that or like plus zero plus two or something like that. Yeah. At at the very least. And some go up by more than that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, so So this is a very weird thing. To ha- this is the first champion that when it levels up, to my knowledge, gets no stats. Right. Oh, and let me talk about Lotus Trap real quick, which is what I mentioned as a part of his origin, is fast spells, slow spells, or skills when you play. Yeah, for every fast every spell, three slow, of them. every three of them that you play, you, you as long as you have them either in your hand or on the board, uh, he summons Lotus Trap, which is which is counts also counts as a skill, too, so that also helps work toward his, um, his level Jin's up. level up. So it says, deal one to the enemy nexus. If Jin is in play, meaning if he's on the board, not necessarily in your hand where he would be triggered for the behold, stun the weakest enemy. So it helps work towards those stuns, um, which then if you had Jin on the Jin on the board and you stun something because of Lotus Trap, you could then attack and he would do deal two to it or four to it, depending if he was leveled up. So Jin just starts, you would probably build this deck with a lot of stuns, a lot of spells. And you're gonna just gonna want to start running away with. It. You're gonna want to. You're gonna. You're probably gonna mulligan for Jin every single time. You're gonna need him in your hand. Like you. Yeah, need you just need to have Jin in your hand. Yeah, you just gotta have him in your hand. So like to to really the get the only advantage. way I think he's good is is if he's in your hand. You're beholding him, and you can get Lotus traps going. Well, and you, know? you and because you can, you, he's not so beefy that you could probably kill him. I don't think there's ever like I. I think there's you probably run three copies of him every single time. Like, if you're going to put Jin in your deck, you probably run three copies, which is interesting because I think yeah. with Runeterra champions, I mean, you can run one copy and it'll technically gain the whole deck building restriction and it'll it'll technically, it'll would work, but are you really taking advantage of what he's meant to do by only putting one copy of him in there? Probably not. 
so let me give you my my hot take on Jin. My hot take on Jin um, is when I first looked at him, I was like, this is kind of cool, but I'm not. I'm still not impressed by him. And here's the reason: he's a four man of four four without any protection on him. No quick attack, no spell shield. He's very easily removed. He's not very aggressively statted. When he attacks, he doesn't even do anything unless there are enemies stunned, which means you have to stun things in order to enable Jin's ability at all. Now, that might not be too hard with Lotus Trap or potentially some Yasuo combos. Obviously, this deck card really likes Ionia. I was hoping as a Runeterra champion, he'd be really diverse and capable of you know, slotting into a lot of different decks. It's pretty clear. He's not maybe hard shoehorned in, but maybe the out of the four champions that we're getting, he's probably the most shoehorned in to uh, a Noxus Ionia deck that either wants to run Yasuo or Annie. Now, we all know that the decks that run Yasuo, we think are going to be good and inevitably are always bad. Um, so the interesting <laughs> thing about... Have years Jin, taught you that? Yeah, years have taught me that. The interesting thing for me about Jin is that he is this he's this unit that wants to attack but is just really piss poor at attacking. Um he dies very very easily even in his leveled up form. Um you know or even with his lotus trap it only stuns the weakest enemy which gives Jin the chance to kill that thing with his 2 or 4 damage easier. But then the the bigger statted stuff is the stuff that you want to have stunned because otherwise it will block Jin and kill him. Well, theoretically, easily. well, theoretically, if you're doing it right, um, theoretically, it's a lot to play in one round, right? Well, but theoretically, if you're doing that right, right, then you're removing weaker units off of the board. And as they play better and better things, you are stunning the things that are going up that, that are getting more expensive but you're right if it's an aggressive deck or if they they can just chump block with something if they can make a a cheap unit to summon then he's going to hit that off of the lotus trap and it's probably not going to be super effective but what it's probably going to do is you're using your spells or the the skills or the keywords on your units to stun bigger things so that way they lotus trap stuns the smaller things it basically allows you to focus your cards and your deck on the bigger things on the opposite side of the board without having to worry too much about the smaller stuff because his passive will kind of take care of them. Which could be true, but I just, I look at it and I say, well, three? Like, every three? Like, yeah, okay, maybe if you build your deck around it, you are doing it once, maybe twice a turn. So what, you get you get the Lotus Trap off every other round? And, you know, I do, I will say this. I think Steel Tempest, it, I think... Yasuo's champion spell is better with Jin than it is with Yasuo. Like, because you will actually want to do that because you can play it and stun something and then his skill will go off and, you know, you get two ticks on his level up and you get the chance to, you know, also, you know, you know, whatever. Get You also get the opportunity to deal two damage right. to it and then it doesn't kill your Jin. So... You are going to be running, like, Steel Tempest, I think, is a shoe-in with this deck. Like, you, if you run Jin, you put in Steel Tempest. Now, with all of that being said, you know, Jin's my least favorite. It's the one, I'm not, like, I'm not hating it. I'm just the least excited out of the four champions. Jin is probably the one I'm least excited for. The thing that's most interesting to me is actually what you said was maybe the least interesting to you, which is slotting one of him in and saying, okay... Let's say I'm running a deck that is that I, I don't desperately need, you know, four or three copies of Aurelian Soul. I'm comfortable 
with three Zoes and two Aurelian Souls. I think that mm. I can win the game if I get one of the two of them, and I can pretty much guarantee it. I'll put a Jin in the deck just because it opens up the opportunity for me to go grab some of these other creatures with some of these other followers with skill triggers that maybe I want in my deck. You know, there are some new, very nice uh, creatures that have come out, you know, followers with stuns uh, on skills when summoned. Well, and, and I that's think that fair. is actually pretty interesting to me. Well, and, and, and I think there's the distinction to make here is, and it's very clear, is if Jin is a part of your game plan, and the stuns are important, or Jin, oh yeah, yeah. If if Jin's gonna if Jin's gonna work towards your work your level your your win condition, which he's probably gonna be more in mid range decks, he's probably gonna be more in combo decks. I would imagine. Um, I I just don't see. I mean, you made a, made a good point. I mean, one twelve spells is a lot. In two, his stats really aren't that great. He doesn't have any way to keep himself alive. I really just don't see. Nor does nor does his. I think at some point, I don't think stuns are ever or ever have been. Outside of maybe Arachnoid Sentry, which, which is I think is a fantastic card for Jin in this game. Oh yeah, because it's done something and it's a skill. Um, yeah, and this and Jin loves Rav Flock, right? Jin. Oh, Jin like loves Rav. Yes, Jin, Jin will love Rav Flock. I think, which he actually might be really good with Swain. Like Jin Swain might work well together. I, I just don't. I don't see him being any aggressive decks, and I, I just have no. a hard time believing that it's going to be. It's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna do much outside of decks that are just gonna hard shoehorn in, into stuns. And I do think they are adding a lot of stun cards to the game. So I think. I think he, we will see maybe a little bit more testing and variety. I just don't know if he will be that impactful. But your. But to your point, if you just want to play a deck that has a different identity and has a lot of skill cards, Jin could be cool. Jin could be really cool. You know, there could be something you could explore with Jin Kennen, um, only because if you run a lot of the Kennen package, you know, every time you play a Kennen, you get a fast spell to play. Um, and you get a bunch of Kennens out, you know, maybe it, and they're free. So it might make you, I mean, I think there's some versatility with him, um, but it will be interesting to see. I think either Jin as a win con will be complete trash or it will be very oppressive. Like, I don't, because of the nature of his vir like the virtuoso, the origin ability, it's like either he's gonna be like, oh my gosh, here's this gin deck, and it controls the board and never lets you get anything down. It's horrible to play against, and it wins a bunch of games. Or it's gonna be like, uh, no one plays gin in the gin deck. You play gin in the other decks that you just want to go grab that skill from, and it's worth losing one of your champions that you don't need three of to go get that one particular follower that has that skill that is, that is going to, that's like really good. And I really want that skill because I think Jin might find a place in some control decks that literally just toss one of him in because yeah, when I, when I play feel the rush, I, I don't, you know, well, that's a bad example because feel, feel the rush is a really bad example because you want very specific champions to come out with feel the rush. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's enough said about Jin, but I, I, I'm interested to see where he ends up actually finding play at. I think he will find play. I'm just interested to see where he finds it at. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I think there's definitely some some going to be some very interesting deck choices and experimentation with him. I mean, carpool keeps big and keeps getting bigger, right? They haven't taken anything out, so it's going to be plenty to experiment yeah. with. Well, so why let don't me we tell move on you, to our oh, next sorry. champion? Absolutely. Let me tell you about Alawi, because this is my favorite and the one I'm most excited about in this Go set. Alawi comes with a new keyword called Spawn. She's in Bilgewater, and all of the Spawn cards up to this point are also Bilgewater cards. Spawn literally means summon a 1-1 one, one tentacle. 
if you already have a 1-1 tentacle, increase its stats by plus 1, plus 1. So you spawn, gives you a 1-1. You spawn one again, it becomes a 2-2. Unless that thing's dead, and then it spawns a new 1-1. It's just constantly creating these sort of, uh, sort of ephemeral-looking tentacles. But they aren't ephemeral. It's just a 1-mana 1-1. Alawi is a 4-mana 1-6. You heard it here. 4-mana 1-6 with Overwhelm that says attack, spawn 1, then gain power equal to your strongest tentacle's power this round. So you have big tentacle on board, spawn a bunch, get a giant Alawi with Overwhelm. Um, uh, uh, her level up is I've seen tentacles or I deal 15 plus damage. Not real easy to do, actually. Her level up is also seems pretty difficult because it is one of those things where Alawi needs to be on board and she wants to level up by putting herself in harm's way. Although the six health is pretty handy. Then Alawi in her level up form is a four mana to seven, still with overwhelm. And when you spawn, increase its value by one. Ooh, pretty good. So when you spawn, you're gonna spawn two now. So you would summon a two, two or give a plus two, plus two to an existing spawn tentacle. Attack, spawn one, which would be two because of her ability, then fully heal your strongest tentacle, and I gain stats equal to its stats this round. You'll notice level one Alawi gets attack equal to the highest attack, but this is going to heal your best tentacle, and then it's going to take all of its stats. If you have a 10-10 on the board, well, now you, your Alawi is going to be a 12-17 with Overwhelm that spawned two on attack and fully healed the tentacle your opponent's been trying to get rid of. Alawi comes with a handful of other cards that are also going to spawn things. Maybe the most noteworthy is a five-mana burst spell for Bilgewater that literally reads spawn two, draw two, which may, it's, it just reads like either give something plus two, plus two, or summon a two, two, and spawn two, and draw two on burst. Uh, that card might be one of the best draw cards in the game right now. Yeah. Uh, it's is pretty nutty. She has Tentacle Smash. This is her, her Alawi, you know, champion spell. Four mana, slow speed, so not great. Uh, spawn three, though, so that's pretty strong. Then your strongest tentacle and an enemy, you choose, strike each other. Interesting here. We're giving a strike spell removal to Bilgewater, which, to my knowledge, Bilgewater doesn't have a piece of removal that's a strike removal, right? That's pretty much exclusively been Sharima mm -mm. and Demacia up to this point. No, they've got um, um what's what's oh, this what's the spell for Pike? The oh, dagger. you're right. You're right. You're Love right. that card. Yep. And I'm blanking uh, on the yep, name. Yep. But I don't yes. know what the name is either, but you're right. That one does as well. Uh and and honestly, it's one of the best pieces of removal that that uh Bilgewater has if we're real <laughs> after so much of their removal has been nerfed. So let yeah, me go if you real quickly on a good unit that just goes oh. back to the top of your deck. Bone Skewer. Yeah, that's right. Bone Skewer. That's it. Um, freaking love this. Freaking love this. And here's the reason why. Everything that Alawi needs in her package, which you don't need to run a ton of, um, you can run four or five additional cards, are exclusively in Bilgewater. It was not given to me split between Bilgewater and Shadow Isles or Bilgewater and, you know, P and Z. You know, we don't have like you know, mechanical tentacles being spawned. Everything for spawn is in Bilgewater, which means I can now grab a Lowie, throw the cards I want in, and be like, where do I want to go now? Oh, I want to be able to, you know, pull her from my deck pretty easy and buff her stats and give her regen because that would be busted. Let me go to Frailyord and grab, uh, and you know, grab Udyr and, and run him in this. Oh, I, 
I want to, you know, I want to go really aggressive and run really hard at people. Okay, well, you know, if I'm doing overwhelm, I'm going to go Noxus and let me go grab Darius over there and give that a try. There's obviously going to be champions that are pre-con to synergize with stuff. She doesn't synergize with landmarks or anything. Mm -mm. Um, but it's just really cool that she's kind of like a very strong, in my opinion, a really strong, very cool mid-range champion for, uh, for you know, for Bilgewater that they really needed. And she she comes with the package, but she's flexible in terms of what you can, you know, uh, com combine her with. So I'm a big fan of Alawi. Give us a bit. What do you think? I mean, I don't think this is a far stretch, and I think it's a rather obvious comparison. This, this is Bilgewater Viego. This is all this is, is they've re they've taken the structure of Viego. They have let me mm -hmm. give you a token that works towards a they get stronger and stronger the more you do it. Therefore, it's an incentive for you to put more of it in the package. But it's flexible how much you put of it in the package. But it definitely benefits you to do so. And you almost have to put some of it in there. Um, and it's going to have some sort of secondary way outside of those tokens to also be able to win. For her, it's being able to grow her stats along with the tentacles and, and whatnot. It's 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 definitely a mid-rangey to control comparison with viego and i love it i think you made some very great points about it being bilgewater specific just like all of viego stuff is is si specific and we've seen how much how much experimentation have we seen viego go through a lot a lot of Absolutely. decks have played with viego and that's really really cool i also just well, honestly think... same as uh Akshan, right he, he his package pretty yeah. much exists entirely in shrima so he's able to be moved to other places pretty easily well and but and, and the difference with Akshan though is part of his um, the whole targeting spells thing, part of his level up condition is specifically, or it, it, you can play that in anything. She wants sure. her level up condition, allow his level of condition is specifically spawns, is around tentacles being only in Bilgewater. So you're going to need to play Bilgewater cards in order to kind of be able to make her work. And that's okay. Um, I also think, just as a secondary, I know this isn't necessarily Alawi like specific but one thing that even furthers the the viego comparison is they gave her a what i would assume to kind of be maybe a little niche but relatively strong high costed mm -hmm. unit they gave him they gave they gave alawi the uh the swain the swain treatment the viego treatment we're instead, instead yeah, of more, playing the it's not a boat thing. but it is yeah it, yeah it's not a boat but it is it is like the viego one so this one is uh, Naga Kakarabarabas. It's a giant tentacle monster. Nagakaboros rounds, is how I'm... Yeah, Nagakaboros. Uh, a 5-8 with Fearsome for 8. It's as uh, round start spawn 2, so you're not going to attack with this. But um, then in your strongest... Then if your strongest tentacle is 12 or more power, create uh, uh, its tantrum in hand. And the, the tantrum is a... Uh, a I want to hear, you, I wanna one hear one. you say the name one more time because you just nah. avoided it. Naga Kagaboros. <laughs> uh, yeah, Naga Kagaboros. Uh, tentacle. A one mana, one mana ephemeral, but when I'm summoned, grow my stats to the strongest tentacle and grant me its keywords. So, you know, can, you know, toss this guy in and he becomes huge. He's just going to basically double the amount of tentacles that you have each round, but you're going to get a, you know, a giant ephemeral one. Um, what? A, you could you could make Riven. You can make Riven, Alawi, and just start throwing keywords on stuff from oh, yeah. all the shards. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a uh, 
I, I think that she's just interesting to me, and I really like her play style because although I do love combo decks, like I said earlier, I also do thoroughly enjoy uh, mid range. Um, I think I, I do really. I would like to play her with Frailyord and run her with Sejuani, and also run some of the stance swaps in hand. Um, without running Udir, just getting some of the stance swaps from some of the other cards to give her and uh, and also Sejuani regen, along with a lot of the ability to ping the face between those two factions to get your Sejuani leveled up. Um, allows you to protect stuff, stat buffs uh, for your Alawi. I think there's some opportunity there between Sejuani and Alawi that could be really fun. I like that Alawi is good no matter when you draw her. She, she's a great top deck late game. Uh, she's, I've assumed that you've been playing Tentacles across the game. She's a great early game pull to start to get the engine running. She's a good mid-range pull to kind of keep the game going and keep keep your presence on board. I think she's really flexible. I think she's going to be really strong. Maybe the strongest of the champions out here. I think maybe, actually, I'm going to go second. I'm going to go second in terms of the strength of the, of the, of the four champions we're talking yeah. about. Um, yeah, I would agree I, with that. And I think some of her her accompanying package, I mean, we even talked about the Buru, the Buru Leader. I think is is mm. one of is a fantastic card, and it will also be really flexible. And a lot of decks are even outside of Alawi, but I think specifically in Alawi is going to be an awesome, awesome card that helps her helps propel her forward. So really excited for this. Bilgewater. I think the the big strong. hang up for her and the the question that's left is like how hard is it to actually level her up? Um, and I don't gonna think to it's going to be. And I don't think it's going to be that hard. Yeah, it, it's yet to be seen because she has to see that damage take place. It can't happen while she's in hand or deck. But I'm I'm just curious. I'm anxious to see how hard or how easy it is to level her up. Um, you know, I've been wrong several times before. I thought that Udyr was going to be easy to level up. He was pretty much impossible to level up. I thought Pantheon was going to be impossible to level up. He was super easy to level up. So, obviously, I have no real understanding of how the game flow works. Um, but... Let's take to what I'm assuming you think is maybe the most powerful champion that's going to be coming out, and I'll I'll let you go through that one. So you get all of the really difficult champions to explain. <laughs> Love it. I'll do my best. Yes, I do think this will be the most powerful champion, which is Bard. Yeah, Bard coming out is another is the other, um, uh, Runeterra champion that doesn't necessarily fit into a region. So he says uh, he's a four cost two five that says Origin. The uh, the wandering caretaker. You may put any cards that plant chimes into your deck during deck building. Now chimes are um, I'll associate with a new keyword coming out called boon. Boons attached to another card in a deck. Uh, then uh, when that card is drawn, activate the effect. So it's a little bit random. It's going to be you might be able to target some of them based on the way that you build your deck if you find a, a, like some sort of combination or some sort of particular, hey, draw a card that set, has this kind of wording to it, and you've only got kind a of like the opposite few of, of them. traps, right? Yeah, like you might be able to run this in, I don't know, a um, uh, a Sightseer deck that starts buffing all of the units in your deck, but you're only running a few of them. So um, Chime is a boon, and it says grant a random ally in hand plus one plus one. So all of the chimes that Bard associates with is whenever you draw a card that has this chime on it, something in your hand gets plus one, plus one. So a lot of uh, hand buffing. So back to his origin of the Wandering Caretaker, you may put any cards that plant chimes into your deck during deck building. Round start. Plant a chime in your deck for each Bard that started 
the game in your deck. So this is your incentive to play more than one bard versus Jin. He didn't have anything that was based on the number of uh, mm-hmm. a number of bards that was in his or sorry, a number of gins that was in his deck. Bard wants you to play three copies of it. And it's probably going to be a bit more centric around him being uh, a bigger part of your win condition. So origin, the wandering caretaker back to his tech text attack plant three chimes on random cards in your deck three chimes on random cards in your deck so they can be anywhere within your deck but when you draw them uh it's you're gonna you're gonna get buffs to your to your hand um his level of condition you've increased the total stats of allies in play or hand by uh 20 plus and you can do that Which- through other effects as well I think that would count, like, if you got a plus one, plus one, that would be two, right? That would be two stats. The total stats of allies in player hand, but yes, I believe that is so, correct. Yeah. So each chime would count towards two. So this would be basically ten time, ten chimes going off throughout the course of the game if that was the only way for you to do it. Yeah, playing Windfair or Hatchling, giving everything plus two, plus two on board um, yeah. is, is going to be huge for Bard. Or playing the um, some of the Ionia units, for example, like I've got... I've got a really fun uh, hand buffing deck that I I think I've shelved it for for now, but I love playing it. That buffs a lot of the hand stuff. What is the name of the card that I am thinking of? Hold, please, hold, please. The Green Glade Elder is going to be crucial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I'm summoned, it's a three cost unit. When I'm summoned, all allies in hand plus one plus one. You can pull it back. You can play it again. You can kill it off and resummon it, and it's going to give everything plus one plus one. Um, young witch being able to support and give something plus one plus two. That's that's a stat buff. So there's going to be a lot that that synergizes with the buffing. Any spells that buff units. Um, sure. So tell us about Bard leveled up because so, uh, he's even crazier when he levels up. Attack. Plant six chimes on random cards in your deck. When you activate a chime, grant plus one plus one to a random ally in play. So not only do you use simultaneously buff the things in your hand you simultaneously buff the things on deck as well that so it's it's an immediate effect that doesn't necessarily require you to um have to play the thing out of your hand in case it gets planted randomly chosen onto a a high costed unit so you've got a lot of flexibility at that point with leveled up bard bard's spell is called bard's travel bard's traveler's call Draw a follower, so it's a little bit of card draw, which hopefully would help synergize with drawing chimes. Then activate the effects of all boons and the top three cards of your deck, which is, if you've played a bunch of boons, it's almost like trying to do the math with playing traps or playing uh, <laughs> playing puff caps. You're like, what are the odds that I draw a bunch of chimes here? Well, there's 30 in my deck, and I've got 12 cards, probably a lot. So you yep. might play that card and try to get a big swing turn of, of having drawn a bunch of boons. And then it says create a bard in your deck as, as a typical champion spell would, you'd create another one. So bard essentially is a mid range champion with a decent, uh, with a decent stat on his defense that will hopefully get you an attack or two through to be able to play some chimes on your deck. And then once he gets leveled up, let's go bananas. He, he's going to love having free attacks or um, being able to challenge or doing vulnerable so that way he can he can a challenge live. something that's weaker um, and try to live through it. But he's also still got two attacks, so he can probably still kill a weaker unit. Um, probably run some healing on him just to be able to 
uh, to get through it. I think, I mean, and, and when I think about it, um, even some of Pantheon's package with the, uh, sure. the units that, that kind of grow as you target them with spells. Absolutely would work. goes well with Faded. Yeah, like Faded is going to be, because it is stat it is stat buff is going to yep. go really well with him. Targon also has a lot of healing and a lot of protection spells and Bard just gets crazier the longer he's he's around. So Sure. So Bard is going to be a more of a mid-range into a control champion, maybe even some combos as well. A lot of cards, even I mean even if you played it with with Noxus and you buffed the attack stat, if you played something that gave it plus 3 plus 0 and overwhelm that's still increasing the stats that will work towards Bard's level up. So I think he's going to be relatively flexible in what he's able to do and the things that he'll get paired with. Um, a decent portion of your deck is going to be chimes, but the last half is wide open. Yep. And you're almost entirely always going to run three bards. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the question with Jin is, how can I play one of him and get access to his origin? The bard is, I never want to do that. I want three bards. Um, and honestly, three bards might be enough. Um, like I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, that might be fine. Like I might not run a single other thing that have chimes because his round start plant a chime into your deck for each bard that started the game in your deck. Like every That's round start key. put three chimes <clears throat> like great. And then let me put in stuff that synergizes with them without having to run any of the cards that put chimes in like, okay, yeah, sure. He enables me to do it, but he puts three chimes in every single round and they can be so, on him. They can be on him, so he can pop into your hand and buff a bunch of stuff in your hand, right? I, I, Yeah, so I think there's some interesting stuff here. I think maybe the one that I'm most interested in, I saw it talked about already in our Discord, is uh, is Bard Garen and Elites. Um, first off, you know, if mm. you're running uh, a whole lot of Demacia, you know, like, first off, Garen buffs your whole board. Um, there's lots of stat-buffing stuff wow, that's a good in point. Elites now, new uh, between, uh, yeah, now Garen buffs. Uh, your allegiance card in Demacia buffs your entire board. Um, you know, that's a bunch of stats coming out all at once. Um, it would be pretty easy to level them up. A lot of the buff cards that you do run in there are also just straight up stat increasing buffs. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that, you can run, there's two two drops in the game right now. One that every time you play an elite, the elite gets plus one, plus one. And the other one, every time you play anything, it gets plus zero, plus one. That's gonna level up Bard and push him towards level. Is this, once he does level up, is, is this the resurgence of War Chefs? Maybe it's War Chefs too, right? Because yeah, War Chefs is a support. Like that's gonna buff your stuff. Could he be played with Tarek? Could you play with Tarek because Tarek's gonna double the stat buffs that you're giving on stuff, and you would love a super pumped up, you know, Tarek. I mean, Bard kind of it's interesting because he's not a win strategy. Like he won't win on his own but he super enables board-based win strategies or strategies that want to win through value. Oh, my he's goodness. He's really, yeah, he's not Think bad about with about Shield of Durand. Sure, yeah. Plus three and then another shield. plus two. It's a three mana for a fourth of his win, a fourth of his level up. He's going to be super easy to level up, and you're going to be like, yeah, I'll just, I'll play a one champ. Like, let, let's just look. And I mean, honestly, like elites, right? Like, yeah, you would typically play Garen Jarvan, you could just as easily not play Jarvan because you can just play Cythria and the other one that when it drops onto the board, the the five four that with Challenger that buffs your entire board by plus one plus one with Scout. Mm -hmm. Like you run those two instead of running Garen, and then you run three Bards in your deck, 
and you're just like, yeah, I'm just constantly buffing my deck every single round, and I'm drawing stuff that's putting those things in my hand. Bard is almost always going to level up by like turn four, five, six because of the amount of stats that I'm stacking out. I mean, I think you can go in on, on chimes, but I'm honestly looking at this. I'm like, I don't care about any of the chimes. Like, don't even give me any of the chime cards. Maybe they're good. I didn't even look at them much. Just give me Bard. Well, like, but yeah, three Bards. So good. And give me three Bards. Yeah. You know what also would, would also de- increase the stats? Healing. You could run Soraka. Uh, I think healing and increased stats. stats are different. I wonder. I, because, because you're restoring. I don't know. We'd have to experiment. I think healing is going to be called restoring stats and not increasing stats, but maybe. Because, We're going to find out because. Yeah, you're, you're going to do some science, huh? I'm going to do some science because I want that to work so badly because I have been waiting for another way to play Soraka for a long time. And I think yeah. that would just be awesome. Also, if that works, then Winds of War is going to be a fantastic card with 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 uh, with Bard because he's going to yeah, heal. Yeah, that's true everything. too. A Relentless Pursuit, grant everything plus one plus one and rally, which then he's going to put more chimes in your deck. He he seems to naturally synergize with Demacia. I think you are right when you're looking at that as as a card that is just it's just going to make sense for him there. Vanguard First the- Blade attack, grant me plus two plus two, like. He synergizes pretty well with with um with uh Vandal City too. Like yep, there's that's the other place because he, about it. He, he's gonna synergize pretty well with anything that's going to want to win in a board centric way. That's always going to have followers in its hand. The problem that is you're going to have is if you're running a deck that's running a lot of spells, uh, combo and control that isn't like he's not gonna want to be in that right because the worst thing that could happen is you draw a card, pull three chimes, and it buffs nothing because you have nothing in your hand for it to buff. Mm. Um. And he's not going to want to run in like super aggro heavy stuff because they're going to want to empty their hand and get to top decking and then burn you out. So you're right. He plays along with like solid mid-range strategies and he really enables a champion that can win the game on its own that doesn't necessarily need the support of another champion. Like he's not even necessarily bad with Renekton maybe. Like Renekton loves stat buffs. Like Renekton's cards love winning combats because you know their stats are big. Like there, there's there's definitely room, and you know Bard loves being protected by you giving everything else vulnerable, um, and mm-hmm. being able to draw it to where you want it. Um, so there's there's I think there's a lot of versatility that you can see here in any deck that you can give up three copies of a champion in. Honestly, my first thought is what I'm going to make is I'm going to make Bard Alawi. Because allow all of the ten, all of the mm. tentacles, whatever it is, that are can constantly being given extra stats every time you play, every you spawn a oh, tentacle, that's, that's also going to work. That's that's two, that's two right there every single time it does it. When something goes from a yeah. one one to a two two, there's there's two of your stats right there, and they're on units that aren't going to take up a lot of hand space because they're constantly being spawned, and they're what Bard and Alawi are they on the same mana cost? Four. Yep. Dang. Okay, so there you do you do run into that, but I still think that would work very well. Or you just run or run Viego at that yeah. point. You don't even really care about Bard's mana cost. Like you have three of them in there just so he puts three boons every round. <laughs> it's like right. yeah, I don't even care if I really play him on four because he's not so stat he's not statted so well that it matters. Like I'm not winning because of him, right? I'm literally just putting him in so that his wandering caretaker just buffs my deck infinitely. I kind of want to I'd kind of want to drop him on like five or six so that way he's leveled up like as he's like coming down yeah. and and then he just goes Get nuts. Six chimes in your deck at once. Yeah, he right? just goes. He just goes yeah. ham and cheese. Like that would be fantastic. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's really interesting. Let's move on to the last champion so we can get out of this episode before we've been in it for five hours. Uh, so the last champion is Annie. She just came out today. Noxus, one mana, zero two, attack, deal two damage to my blocker. If it's dead or gone, deal uh, I deal two damage to the enemy Nexus instead. So, you know, if you get, if it blocks, if you can't stun it or whatever, like it, you know, it, it it's just going to deal two damage to it. Good one drop. Interesting one drop. Not a good blocker. Good aggressor. Um, I've seen you level up. I've seen you play six plus fast spells, slow spells, or skills. I mean, this is much different. It's literally half the amount of Jin. Just to give you an idea, half mm -hmm. of the amount. But Jin says you've played. She has to see you play. So still not easy. Um, leveled up when I uh, when I level up, create a Tibbers in hand, and then uh, one mana, one three attack. I deal three damage to my blocker and stun it. If it's dead or gone, I deal three damage to the enemy Nexus instead. So, you know, you can knock it out of the way. She likes stuns. She, you know, she obviously likes stuns. She likes protection. Um, she likes damage. Tibbers is a six mana, five, five with fearsome that you play. It says play stun an enemy, then deal two damage to all stunned or damaged enemies. I think it's interesting to also go to her disintegrate, which is her, uh, her spell, which is pick a target. Or I'm sorry, pick a unit. It's two mana fast. Pick a unit. The next time it takes damage this round, kill it. Um, could be pretty bonkers. Could be pretty bonkers. Um, I think Annie's a really interesting, aggressively statted thing. Like he's like she's a pretty aggressive thing for Noxus. I mean, does Noxus even have a one mana champion? I don't think that it does. Does it? I mean, what aggressive lists that run in Noxus love this because. There's got to be some that in Noxus, they're like, yeah, I want an aggressive one static, or, you know, turn one creature that has a really good upside. Like, so I'll pull this section out, but you've been muted this whole time. Dang it. Sorry. Uh, I, I, they, they don't have a one, a one, costed noxus does not have a one costed champion and as i'm looking at it like I, the one that i'm thinking maybe could be a, a good fit if anything maybe spiders i could see her slotting oh. in as just another really good spider enabler um doing some damage i mean you've got arachnoid sentry um that is a really really popular skill card um but also yeah, just a really popular skill card, but also does like stuns, which would help with Jin, uh, which this this synergizes with. It's got some of that aggressive, those aggressive properties. Uh, I'm trying to look to see if there's any other. It's it's obviously a Jin, like it's the Jin pairing, right? That they're. I think Jin is more versatile than a lot of other champions that are shoehorned into pairings, and I think Annie, to be fair, is a lot more versatile as well. But that's very clearly what. She has the same level up condition, right? So you'd be working towards both. Yeah, and maybe maybe scouts. I don't know. I I could maybe she's maybe she's working with scouts. I don't I I, I don't know. Scouts it's are weird. pretty dependent on MF and Quinn. Like it, you, it's it, it's so weird because because Annie is so comparable even in cost, and it's also kind of an on the nose comparison. But she's really comparable to Zoe. She doesn't have the the she has a one one stat line, and granted, maybe it helps a little bit that. Um, that Annie's got a zero two stat line, but if they play any, if you play her on one and then they play any sort of dro drop in return that has uh, on as a one drop that has three stats, which will become really popular, I think, is is a one is mm -hmm. the is a one three. 
any any sort of one drop that has more than two stats, she's going to get an attack off on one. And then from there, she's probably just going to continue to sit as a backline champion because once they once she's out on board, your opponent is now saving mana for an answer to, to buff something, to use a spell, to kill her. I, I think she's going to have a hard time, just like Zoe does, leveling up unless you can put protection on her like spell shield or you can give her quick attack or or something. And you're going to have, have to give her well, stats at that point because she's a zero two. She is, yeah, she has no... It's just interesting that she's a, she's a really powerful turn one, and it's almost as though like you want to play her on one and never even care about her level up or her tibbers. Like, is that a thing? Because it kind of feels like a thing to me. It's like maybe you just maybe yeah maybe she is just an Elise deck right that she's just like a good turn one spiders play. Well, not, and she's even just like yeah she's gonna be hard to deal with. Well, and even tibbers is kind of situational, right? Because he's back to the whole stun package play stun an enemy. And then deal two to all stunned or damaged enemies. Like, I'm not impressed by Tibbers. I think it's a six six a six cost five five. I don't think he's that great of a payoff. Initially, in my head, you're gonna have to run. I wanted her to level up. I wanted her to level up, and when she leveled up, I wanted her to summon Tibbers. Like that's what I thought she was going to do because that's her ultimate. She summons this giant bear that goes and smashes everything, and I wanted her to summon Tibbers on level up. And so I, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for more of like a three or a four cost Annie that came in as low stats, sat on the back line and watched you kill stuff or flame stuff and in, in sort of enabled, like increased. I thought she was going to increase a lot of the damage of your skills and uh, and your and your spells. And then once you've you know destroyed enough stuff, she was going to summon a Tibbers and it was just going to like, you know, obliterate your opponent's board on a round. And so, you, you know, she was a ticking time bomb in the back lane. That's really not the way she plays at all. No, uh, I mean, Zoe, even if you get Tibbers in hand, it's like, eh. No, I'm afraid of Zoe. I'm afraid of Zoe if she gets leveled up because then her, her effect is permanent, but she's hard sure, to level win. up. Yeah, you essentially yeah. win. Like, it's, she's hard to level up. But And I, and I think Annie's going to be the same way. She's going to be hard to level up because removal is always a part of the game and vulnerable exists and, and challenger exists. Like, But Tibbers to... absolutely does not win the game. No, he doesn't. <laughs> even if you summoned him, and like, even if you drew the nuts and you probably summon him by turn four, turn five, I don't think he wins you the game, but you're you on most often, yeah. if you, if you drew Annie, cause you have to see this happen. You have to see all of her stuff happen. If you draw her, play her on one, somehow manage to keep her alive through a, an amalgamation of, of, of fast spells and slow spells, just probably something spell shield protection early and buffing her health. And then you get, Tibber summon because you let you level her. It's you're probably not doing it turn till av- on average turn six, turn seven. At that point, I think Annie isn't relevant anymore anyway. So like I'm yep. just not impressed with her. I think she's got some cool cards that associated in her package. Like the Raven Bloom Conservatory is really cool. And there's other mm-hmm. there's other things that work with fast speed, slow spell, and skill stuff like Jin's package. I could see a deck, as we talked about, that runs a one copy of Jin. And runs the Raven Bloom Conservatory and a bunch of skills and, and and spells and stuff like that, or even just disintegrate as a really good removal tool. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, D- disintegrate's great. Yeah, I think it might be the best card to come out of the out of the, the new stuff. That's but that's just me personally. It's so flexible. It's a really interesting card. Um, my my view is Annie, if she finds a spot, may find a spot in a really aggressive list, potentially spiders, 
potentially Draven, just like straight up Draven aggro deck with Annie at turn one. Um, or Jin Annie is good. And I don't know how good Jin Annie is. There's too many variables to consider. But maybe Jin Annie is good because Jin, because Annie is like more or less used for herself. Oh, if you level up, great. And she gets Tibbers, which gives you a skill. But she does come down on one and she does start the skill train, which can happen, you know, the first couple of rounds. And so maybe you want that because it's helping you with your Jin and helping you get out your lotuses and everything mm -hmm. um so maybe Jin annie's good but probably not super good because i think Jin is weak and i think annie as a champion is weak it's just a matter of does their synergy together make them good enough to compete and uh it's it's too it's too early to tell the answer to that question you know yeah i mean i i could see her in I could see you cheesing her cheesing value out of her by playing like a Sumpworks map on her or something like that and and pairing her with with sure. um, yeah if you could give her elusive yeah like, like if you could play her on one get in a free attack off of her and then by the time turn th turn three rolls around or turn two rolls around you can play a sumpworks map on her of some sort and give her permanent elusive like i think that's a way to maybe keep her alive where she becomes a little bit scarier because she's still attacking at that point and she's probably going to go unblocked if she if they don't have an elusive unit if they do elusive units don't tend to have high stats um, she just dies to so much, you know. She does, and she's I, like I, a free free target for single combat, an easy mystic shot, com, uh, you know, target. Like, there's just a lot of things that target her, and she's not in a region that has protection like Targon does. You know, Targon can protect Zoe pretty easily. Noxus really can't, and the the combos you're gonna play with her are not gonna run anything that can really protect her very well. You know, I mean, I mean, if you don't have protection on her, she's literally zero zero attack. Doesn't Jin just auto snipe her? With his lotus trap thing, if someone—I uh, mean, Jin has to attack. If she's stunned, yeah, Jin would Jin would kill her off. It would um, just stun. Like turns the... out, Jin's really good against his ally. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> yeah, like Jin is just going to—he's going to lotus trap. He's going to stun the weakest enemy, and then Jin's going to attack, and he's just going to kill the zero two, which is almost undoubtedly going to be your weakest enemy, and she dies, and then it's, and then it's fine. Like it's not going to be hard for him to get lotus traps off. So I, I just don't I, I just think you, don't think any sees play. You always keep an eye on one cost champions. That's the last thing I'll say about it, right? Because Fizz wasn't good until Fizz was broken. Timo wasn't good until he got enough tools. Zoe isn't good until she gets busted, right? And because they're easy to remove unless they're not. And and then, you know, then they become good. But yeah, I, I interesting conversation. I think we're both in agreement though. Uh kind of tier list. We think Bard, Alawi, Jin annie right and i Agreed. i don't know i might put annie above Jin. maybe I, i'm not hot on Jin. Jin is one of my, the runeterra champions I, are some of my least favorite though. i think Jin's got enough flexibility oh, that Jin's hasn't been explored Bart. yet that he'll be okay in something whether he's that great we'll find out it depends on how really how fast fast slow and skills start to rack up i think we have a good idea that bard stuff is going to chimes are going to rack up pretty quickly but I think yep. I think this is uncharted territory with the fast spells, skills, and yep. slow spells. So we'll see. That being said, the artwork in this section, top freaking notch. Oh, uh, absolutely. Annie, Annie's level up, freaking incredible. All of the tentacles with Alawi, freaking super cool. Uh, even Jin's sort of purple and blue uh, palette and combo, really, really cool. Um, yeah. So I I totally dig that stuff. Esmus sure. Breath of the World in in Bard's 
section in the two drop elusive in Targon, I think that mm-hmm. art is really, really intricate and well done. Yeah, they, they've done a really good job with it. But why don't we work our way out of here and end the episode with a little bit of closing thoughts. And I thought I was already perfect. Okay, guys, in closing thoughts, what we try to do is give you, you know, a little bit to live by, not just to play by. And so I usually give a couple of just words of things I've been thinking, pondering, you know, thinking about the uh, the great beyond. And uh, I come up with a few things. And uh, recently I've been meeting with a handful of people and I've been doing basically the equivalent of some counseling or uh, some counseling or life coaching and working through some stuff. And the the concepts around sort of wanting more and contentment keep coming up. And I've just been it's been really reinforced in me because I have sort of failed in this uh, as of recently. I, I recently found this place called Mac Discounts that enables you to bid on a whole bunch of stuff that was returned to Amazon. And uh, I keep wanting to win stuff on there. And, you know, there's this feeling that this acquisition disorder that's in me that's come about because I started getting into board games and I, I want to collect stuff and that I am more meaningful or life would be better. Or I would be more content if I had those things. And as I'm, I'm talking to people who, you know, very clearly that's not necessarily the case in their own life, um, I have been reflecting on this concept of contentment. Um, I have a buddy who uh, just very, very, very wealthy, you know, like crazy wealthy. And, um, you know, recently I've just been, you know, chatting with him and he kind of went through a tough time. And I'm just realizing that um, even with, what he has which is you know multiple multiple times more what i could ever possess probably in my lifetime um he wasn't content he's just he's not in a great place and it it occurred to me the other day that contentment is really a matter of mindset which is something i've known but something i've just been going back to um really if you're looking around at life and you're like if i just had that if i just had this job if i just got to go to that school if i if, if this or that, if I would zigged where I, I had zagged, whatever, like I would be content or I would be happy or things would be better. Contentment, happiness is a choice. It's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It, it isn't a matter of situation. Situations can make contentment harder, but contentment is a choice. You can be discontent with a lot and you can be content with a little. And I've just been reflecting on that and the importance of that. So if you've been feeling discontent, just remember You've made that decision. You've chosen to be discontent. You have the ability to choose to be content. And there's few things in life that are better than contentment. So that's my closing thought, my, my thoughts on contentment. Yeah, I think it's hard to sometimes stop and slow down and just appreciate what's in front of you because we're always looking forward. We're, we're always taught to look forward and, and think ahead and think about, what's coming next and don't be so short-sighted or else you aren't you aren't good at planning or you're not good um at i don't know just perceiving what what could be in front of you and that's how you get into trouble we've all been there where we just like i didn't think about that and then something's in front of us and now it causes a problem so we're constantly looking ahead but that sometimes can get in the way of of the enjoyment and the appreciation of the hard work that we put into the past of getting to where we are now because we've, we're always constantly working towards something in our lives. And I think it's, I think it's important to stop and I mean, it's a cliche, but stop and smell the roses. Um, Mm. Stop and appreciate the people, the activities, the gifts, 
the the abilities that we have, whether it's something that you can do at this point in your life because of your age, or it's something you can do because of where you live or what you do for your job or an, an activity or a group that you're a part of. It's always nice to be able to stop and even tell the people around you and express to them how appreciative you are and how content you are with that, with being a part of that and and that life is just good. There's there's a lot of opportunities to to appreciate that life is good if you just allow yourself to do it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's enough him hawing by me and Gibby and Bits here at the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I want to encourage you, uh, if you like the content that's here, come on over to our Discord at Camp Legend, and uh, you can grab a link for that in the description of this episode. Hang out with us over there. We'd love to see you. If you're enjoying the content that's being made by any one of our podcasts or all of our podcasts, would you please consider supporting us over at patreon.com slash legendscast? Guys, we've lost some patrons since we went to once a month, which we expected and understand. But we also want to be able to continue to make great content. And that can't happen uh, if uh, if we don't have the support of viewers like you and listeners like you. So head on over to patreon.com. You know, donate a dime a month. Uh, it's 10 cents an episode uh, to, to continue hearing Legendscast made. Whatever it is. That, uh, that you feel like you're able to sacrifice uh, and that the, the, the content that me and Gibby are making out here on the show is worth, um, we, would, we would certainly appreciate your support. Um, other than that, if you want to check anything else out, I have a Twitch page, twitch.tv slash the lift, where I play Elder Scrolls online. You're welcome to come by and check out and hang out with me Monday, Wednesday, Fridays from 8 a.m. until noon EST. In addition to that, Gibby and I are both part of an online church that I have the honor and, and the pleasure of being able to pastor and lead. It's called Lux, L-U-X, Digital Church. You can find us on the internet, but there's a live opportunity for a service every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST over at twitch.tv slash Lux, L-U-X, Digital Church. We'd love to see you there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and giving us a portion of your week and your time. We hope you have a blessed and incredible week. Enjoy your time in the Legends of Runeterra, and like always, come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.